Good morning. Happy Father's Day for those to whom that greeting applies. Uh, for those of you who've been coming for a while, you know I'm Pastor Chris. If you're watching online for the first time or you're first-time guest, you don't know that. And you also probably don't know that I almost never get dressed up for church. Um, but Father's Day and Mother's Day I do. On Mother's Day I wear a suit in honor of my mother, Ruth Marshall. And uh, on Father's Day, last about four or five years now, I've been dressing up uh, for him as well in memory of my dad. Both have passed many years ago. But in any case, uh, our parents, obviously, were the reason why we're here. If it wasn't for parents, we wouldn't exist. And also, for those of us who had two parents, they have a lot of impact in the very formative years of our lives. My mother um, was the first person who told me about Jesus and loved me uh, in the name of Jesus. Uh, and my dad, well, he was the first one that showed me how to have a ferocious temper. Now, um, that is something that I'm going to say, and it's, it's the truth, um, but I've learned something. Having been a follower of Jesus for 50 years now, uh, I, I was born uh, in 1957, and in 1969, I trusted Jesus as my Savior and Lord. And what I've learned after 50 years of being a follower of Jesus is actually printed in the outline, if you follow along in the outline, while our past shape us, we don't have to be prisoners of our past. Many of us blame our parents for things that are, you know, they didn't do or things that they did do to us, and we blame other people. And, and the thing that I've realized, and, and this isn't true of everybody, but when you're 62, it is true. When you're 62 years old, if there's still something wrong inside of you, that's you. That's not your parents. That's not somebody else. That's nobody but you. And so in, in my life, when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, if I have a problem, I know who caused it. But we tend to blame other people. And the reason we do that is because the devil pushes us to that, because the devil knows this. If he can get us to be blaming other people back here in our past and living back here in our past, then we won't experience the freedom that Jesus died to give us in the present. And so one of the things that happened when I finally let go of blaming my dad was I realized how many good things he did in my life. My dad taught me a strong work ethic. Marshall kids get up in the morning and go to work. That's something that we do. <laughs> you don't think about it. You don't ask about it. It's just natural because that's how our dad taught us. Our dad believed in telling the truth, and he taught us to tell the truth. My dad was actually a very generous man, and not towards the church because my dad wasn't a Christian until two years before he died, but he was generous to people. I'm going to tell you a story about that next week, but today, suffice it to say, when he saw somebody in need, he helped them. And he taught us that. That's something that's natural for us. When we see somebody in need, we help other people. So one of the things that I've realized about parents over all these years of living is most parents do the best they can to love their children and to bring them up the best they can. And our parents did that for us. And if you're a parent, you're probably doing that for your children right now. Or if you have parents that are still alive, they're doing that for you. And one of my regrets is that I haven't always been the best dad for my children. But I can assure you of this. I love my children more than I love my own life. That's true of my biological children, Abby and Emmy. It's also true of the three girls that Nancy and I are legal guardians for, Teresa, Yukina, and Yumiko Ko. And actually, it's true of, of some of you, many of you actually, because uh, we're going to look at a scripture that sort of uh, talks about what I'm saying right now. The Apostle Paul started many churches or planted many churches. And one of them was in a place called Corinth. 
And that church became his problem child, if you will. And this is what he wrote to them. uh, And we have it in the New Testament. He said, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. So having planted new life, Nancy and I, and a number of you who are still here, we understand what that's like. When I see you doing something that's reflecting Jesus' life in your life, it gives me joy. When I see you not so much doing the things that Jesus calls us to do, it brings sorrow to my life. And, and I can echo Paul's words that though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I've known some of you since you were children, literally. Actually, this young man over here, I met him when he was in second grade. I'm, gonna, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, Chris, but how old are you now? 36. So I've seen him grow up into a fine Christian man with a fine Christian family. I've had the opportunity to do that. I've seen many of you who were adults when I met you who are now mature, spirit-led Christians. And that's one of the blessings of being the, the spiritual dad of new life, if you will. And, and the thing about new life is, you know, I am actually the president of New Life Christian Ministries Incorporated. But that isn't a title that I care about, honestly. I mean, we do the best we can with our buildings and grounds and finances to, to use good business practices. But this is much different than most human organizations because it's actually a living organism. It's a body of Jesus Christ. It's a family. Jesus told us that God is our heavenly father. He's the only perfect father, by the way. And so when we look beyond our human fathers to him, we see what it would be like if our fathers had been the the perfect one that we are intended to be um, when we have our children. But as your spiritual father, I'm going to give you some some advice today. Actually, whenever we get to the to the in, uh, the the uh, message video, or not the, the, I'm having one of those senior moments. Those uh, what are they called? Announcements. Yeah, the announcement video. I'm going to give you a real hard bit of a dadly advice at that time, and then during the offering, I'm going to tell you a little bit more dadly advice. But right now, we're going to turn to Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus. As we know, if you've been coming for a while, you know, preached a very long sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And in that sermon, which is in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, he tells us to do some things that are really impossible apart from the power of God in our lives. For instance, last week he told us that we're not supposed to retaliate against people that hurt us. He told us that we're supposed to go the second mile. That is, when somebody gives us a requirement that we have to do, we're supposed to do more than we have to do and actually act like we get to do it in our lives. And today, he's going to tell us two more things that in the human effort that we can exert, it's never going to happen. So before we turn there, let's look at today's take-home point. Again, if you're new or watching online for the first time, the take-home point is the one point we drew from Scripture that we want to reflect on today, and then we want to take it home and live it out in the week ahead. And so it says this, Jesus' followers identify ourselves by loving those it makes no worldly sense to love. Well, who doesn't it make any worldly sense to love? Our enemies. Jesus is going to tell us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. Now, that doesn't make sense. In, In the human term, you know, we don't get mad, we get even. We talked about that, you know. And... 
reality is that when somebody is mean to us, our natural tendency is to be mean back. When somebody hurts us, we want to hurt them. But what Jesus is telling us here, not only are we supposed to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, but the last verse of chapter 5 says this, you, therefore, are to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. So perfect. (laughs) If any of you have doubted up to this point in the first nine weeks of this series that you need the Holy Spirit inside of you in order to accomplish what Jesus calls us to do, I think this message is the one where we all realize outside of the Holy Spirit's presence and power This is never going to happen. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, would you turn with me to Matthew 5.43? It's also in page 23 of your Mountain Monologues Dialogue, or it'll be up on the screen. Before we turn there, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and love, and we thank you that Jesus said we can call you Father. And today we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit because we know there's no other way that we can understand your truth or live it out in love. And so we ask for a new measure of your Holy Spirit in each of us, that we can hear this message and apply it in the coming week. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus said, if you, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So the formula is the same as it's been the last five weeks. The last five weeks, Jesus has said, you have heard that it was said. In other words, there's something written in the law of Moses, but I'm going to tell you something different. And this week, what was written in the law of Moses is, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, it actually does say you shall love your neighbor in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. But it doesn't say in any of the books of the law, hate your enemy. But it does say that in the book of Psalms, which all of Jesus' listeners would have known. Listen to what the psalmist says. He says, let my enemies be destroyed by the very evil that they have planned for me. Let burning coals fall down on their heads. Let them be thrown into the fire or into watery pits from which they can't escape. Don't let liars prosper here in our land. Cause great disasters to fall on the violent. Don't you wish he would have said what he really thought about his enemy? So, Jesus says, yes, you're supposed to love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but no, 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 no. I'm going to tell you something new. And that's what he did. He said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your father's father who is in heaven. So, notice why we're supposed to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. We are to love them and pray for them so that we will be children of our father in heaven. Our family's different. That's what Jesus is saying is God, if God is our heavenly father, then we're to live in a different kind of way towards other human beings, even those outside of the family, maybe perhaps especially those who are outside of the family than the average person would live. And Jesus actually shows us how his heavenly father does this. He says these words. For he, that is God, the father, makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just And on the unjust. Now, if we were God, we might wish good weather only on those we love. But our God shows his goodness by sending good weather on everybody. And he sends rain on everybody when it's needed. So here's the thing. 
often you've heard this question, why do bad things happen to good people? But what Jesus tells us here is why good things happen to bad people. Good things happen to bad people because God is good. God is so good that he gives blessings on everyone. And if we wanted to answer the question, you know, why do bad things happen to good people, we could say there are two answers, quick answers. The first one is there aren't any good people. All of us are sinners, the word of God says, and we fall short of God's glory. But let's assume that all of us in this room are good people. Then why do bad things happen to us? Because we live in a broken world. We live in a world that was created perfect by a perfect God, and the first two people had a perfect love for him and each other, and and they decided that wasn't good enough. They wanted something different, and they, they rebelled against God, which is called sin. They broke God's perfect world, and what has happened ever since then is sin has had influence in the world. And that means that sometimes we're just innocent bystanders and we still get hurt. Sometimes we're doing what we ought to do and bad things still happen. But Jesus came into the world to reverse that curse of sin and to give us a new life, to redeem us is what the Bible calls it, gives us freedom from sin and death. And gives us new life. And one day Jesus is going to return. And when he returns, our lives are going to be perfect the way God originally intended them forever. So as Jesus continues to talk about these things, he returns back to the average everyday world in which we live. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. The tax collectors were the lowest people in Jewish society because they worked for the Romans. And he says, even tax collectors, you know, love each other, right? And then he says, and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Gentiles were anybody that weren't Jews. And if you were a Jew in those days, you didn't like anybody that wasn't a Gentile. But even Gentiles will say hi to another Gentile. In other words, it's no big deal if you love the people who love you. It's no big deal if you have a group of people and everybody thinks the same, talks the same, acts the same. That's not a big deal. Everybody does that. But what Jesus says is, what's a big deal is that if you want to show the life change that's going on inside of you, the Bible, Paul the Apostle in particular, called that sanctification, being made holier, being made like Jesus. If you want to show that, the way you show it is not by loving those who already love you. It's by loving your enemies. It's by praying for those who hurt you or persecute you. And Jesus says, you know, that's not natural to do that. And he says this, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And and this is something we all need to understand. The perfection that Jesus requires is not natural. It's supernatural. To be like Jesus, it's not magic. Magic is trying to manipulate the natural forces of the world to get what you want. But being like Jesus requires a supernatural presence. It's the presence of God himself in the Holy Spirit. And it happens when we trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. When that happens, we start becoming like him. That's when the transformation or the sanctification starts to take place. And um, it's not a linear thing. It's not like when I was born 62 years ago last week, I was a baby. And then, you know, as time passed, I was a toddler in an elementary. And now here I am, 62 years old. And in the natural, what that means is I have white hair. That means I'm never going to run a five-minute mile. I'm never going to run a six-minute mile or a seven-minute mile or an eight-minute mile. Eleven's looking pretty hard right now. 
Do you know what I'm saying? It means that every day when I wake up, something hurts. Right now, it's, it was my knees, but now it's just my lower back. Um, okay. It means that I'm closer to my physical death than I am to my physical birth. But what Jesus is talking about is a spiritual reality. What he's talking about is a 15-year-old girl who's filled with the Holy Spirit can love her enemies and pray for those who persecute her. A 15-year-old boy can live a life that a 15-year-old boy can't live in the natural realm. You don't have to be 62 for it to happen. That's what he's talking about here today. So in Jesus' sermon on the plain, which is in Luke, Jesus' sermon on the mount is Matthew. That's what we're looking at. But in his sermon on the plain in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says many of the same things. But in this particular part of the message, he expands a little bit. Look what he says. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. So note the four actions that Jesus calls us to take toward our enemies. He says we're to love them, we're to do good to them, we're to bless them, and we're to pray for them. So... In Matthew, we just have two things, love and pray. But in Luke, we have four things, love, do good, bless, and pray. The thing is, when Jesus says, in both cases, to love our enemies, he isn't saying, like your enemies. He isn't saying, feel good about people that are hurting you. That would not be realistic. What he's saying when he says, love them, is he's saying, Desire the best for them. Do the things. Actually, Luke sort of expands. Do good to them. You show love by doing good to somebody. I show love by doing good to you. In fact, when I stand up here and I tell the truth to you, I'm showing love to you. If there's a time when I have to admonish you in the Lord, then it's showing love to you. When I serve your physical needs, I'm showing love to you. That's what Jesus is saying. We're supposed to love our enemies, to do good to them, to bless them, and to pray for them. And the thing is... I don't even have to like you, and you don't even have to like me to do that. You can be lying to me. You can be mean to me. You can be hurting me. And I can still show you love as Jesus talks about it. I can still do good to you and still you know, bless you and pray for you. I can do all of those things without having a good relationship with you in the first place. So I want to tell you something that really bothers me about me. It is that I've been a follower of Jesus for 50 years, and I'm not perfect yet. And the reason I, it bothers me is because every time I don't love my enemy or do good to my enemy, or every time I don't bless them or pray uh, for those who persecute me, I miss the opportunity to show them Jesus. I miss the opportunity for them to see something supernatural. And the reality is when somebody sees me who's been mean to me, loving them in return, they're going to know that's not Chris Marshall, especially if they've known me for very long. And when they see you doing that to them, it's going to change the way they think. Now, I don't want you to make an excuse for me saying, oh, it's okay, Chris. I mean, you're, you're one of the better people that I know. <laughs> well, so, really, what Jesus said is to be perfect. Better isn't perfect. And he was talking to a group of people, a crowd of people, many of whom would probably be there the day that Jesus was on trial before Pilate, and they would shout, crucify him. And yet he told that group of people to be perfect, 
even as his Father in heaven is perfect. He told that to all of us, and he believed it was going to happen. In fact, Jesus believed it was going to happen so much that right after he rose from the dead and spent time on the earth with his people, and just before he went back to heaven, look what he said to his disciples. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what Jesus said, here's the plan Jesus has for us to fulfill this perfection that he calls us to, to fulfill. Wait. Hmm, wait. Receive power. How do we receive power? When the Holy Spirit comes, we receive the power, and then we're supposed to go. So when worship ends today... If we're going to go out to lunch or we're going to go home or tomorrow we're going to go to work, all these different things we're going to do, what Jesus says is, if you want to live that perfect life that I called you to live, it will start with waiting on me, Jesus says. Wait until you receive power, the power of the Holy Spirit. And then and only then will you be able to go out and interact with other people who are going to be mean to you. They're going to hurt you. They're going to lie to you. They're going to do bad things to you. And in return... What you're going to do is all of the things that Jesus told us to do. Imagine this. The Sermon on the Mount is the most frustrating message in history if there's no power, right? I mean, think of what Jesus told us to do. He told us to be blessed. He told us to be salt. He told us to be light. He told us to fulfill the law. He told us not to be angry, not to have lust, not to get divorced, not to make oaths. Not to retaliate against our enemies. And now this week, he tells us to love, do good, bless, and pray for those who hurt us and persecute us. If Jesus had not sent the Holy Spirit after he rose from the dead, went back to heaven, and did send the Holy Spirit, this would be just frustration. We would be sitting here going, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that. Here's another thing I can't do. And we would leave here every week frustrated. And if we're trying to do that in the power of our own humanity, we will leave here every week frustrated. But when the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, when we trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, we are changed from the inside out. And it's a process. And we can accelerate that process by obeying Jesus. And we can stunt that process by ignoring Jesus, by not waiting, by trying to do it on our own. So if you've never had the experience of having the Holy Spirit live inside of you and start to change you, start to move you to do these things that Jesus has been telling us to do over the past nine weeks. If you've never trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, today's the best day ever to do it. Today's the best day to forget the past and to move into a new present. In fact, I'm going to have um, Lucy put a prayer up on the screen. I want everybody to see it. And especially if you've never trusted Jesus before, it says this, Jesus, I have lived my own life and I admit it isn't enough. I have sinned against you and so many others. Forgive me, free me, fill me with your life and your Holy Spirit that I might be a new person. Give me the power to change from the inside out so I can live your plan for me today and every day you give me. I ask this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. So maybe... You have said a prayer like that sometime in your life. You have trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord. But as you look at that prayer today, you say, man, I haven't really been going that direction right now. Or I haven't been living that life that's powerful. And so maybe I need to pray that prayer too. So whoever you are, whether for the very first time or for the 
in my case, you know, I don't know how many times, I'm going to pray this prayer simply because I want to be reminded of the power and importance of Jesus' Holy Spirit in my life. So would you pray with me? Jesus, I have lived my own life, and I admit it isn't enough. I have sinned against you and so many others. Forgive me. Free me. Fill me with your life and your Holy Spirit that I might be a new person. Give me the power to change from the inside out so I can live your plan for me today and every day you give me. I ask this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. So if we prayed that prayer and we really meant it in our lives, then we have the power to do the next step, which for those of you who are new, we have a next step or something, an action point at the end of every message. And here's this week's next step. I will let the Holy Spirit free me to love the unlovable this week. Now notice, I said unlovable. I didn't say enemies. Why did I do that? Well, because I don't know if you have any people like this. They're not my enemies. Maybe a family member, maybe somebody you know that I know, somebody in my church family. And, and, and they're just hard to love. They're challenging, difficult people. And so I wouldn't call them my enemy, but I need the Holy Spirit's power to be free to show them love, to do good to them, to bless them, and to pray for them, as well as my enemies. Now, if we did that with every person in our life who, you know, gives us a pain where a pill won't reach, every person in our life who frustrates us, every person in our life who's our actual enemy, what, what will happen over time is this. They will see something that they haven't seen. Because they know they've been frustrating to us or they've been mean to us or they've been hurtful to us. And we're giving them back love. We're giving them back life. We're giving them back blessing. We're doing what's good for them. And they will know that's not from us because they've known us. And when that happens, they will ask, what is going on? That is the best time ever to tell people about Jesus. When we just stand up and start telling people about Jesus, eh, we need to do that. But it's probably not the best time to tell people about Jesus because how do they know that what we're saying is true? But when they see the change in our lives in an ongoing way, and it might take a little while, then they start to say, hey, tell me about what's going on inside of you. And then you can say, well, Jesus is changing me. It's not, you know, I'm not perfect. He is, but I'm not. But he's changing me from the inside out. It's making a difference. And they'll say, I can tell. And that's actually Jesus' plan. He doesn't have seven plans or ten plans. He just has one to change us from death to life, to give us a born-again experience is what he called it in John chapter 3, and that as we live into that new life, other people will see it, and they'll say, I want some of that too. So here's my question in closing. How many people want to live out that plan? Who want to have, do you want to have some of that power to live this week? Anybody? A few? Okay, most of us, all of us. All right, well, let's pray because that's the only way we can get it. Heavenly Father, we do praise you that you are our Heavenly Father and you're perfect. And, and God, you and you alone are the one with all power. And Jesus promises that we can have it by your Holy Spirit's presence in us when we trust him as Savior and Lord. And so, God, today we submit ourselves to you. Every bit of our life we give it over to you and we ask that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit new and fresh that we will love you first, that we will love those who already love us, which is easy, and God, that we will love those in our lives who are really hard to love. God, we pray for the specific people we're thinking about right now who, who are either unlovable or are enemies. We pray, God, that you will bless them, that, you will do, that we will do good to them, and that we will pray for them even more 
as this week continues so that your family will grow. We know that you plan for us to be part of a very, very worldwide big family. And so, God, we pray that you'll empower us to do our part today and each day you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.